Uh, Before we get started here, I want to give some credit to some men in my life. Every week I meet with some guys for accountability. Um, I've been doing this for a couple years now. And I meet with Joseph and my Uncle Robin and uh, Tyler Van Campen, Gary Babb. I've been meeting with these guys. And each week we talk about our sin. And uh, we do it in great detail. We talk about the things we struggle with. And just the things in our life that try to drag us down. And we talked about this passage that we're going to be looking at in James chapter 1. And I got to give them credit because most of my material came just from conversation with them. And a whole lot of it came through talking with my Uncle Robin about um, how sin works and what it tries to do to us. So if you would turn with me um, to James chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test of time, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he's being tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father God, I just pray for your help right now in looking at this passage. Um, This is one of my favorite passages, God. And it's a hard passage to preach, God. It it touches on our sin. And it touches on the things in life that, that we struggle with, God. And the things that try to bring us down to death. And I just pray for uh, your help today as we examine the scripture, God. That you would just... Uh, Be with us, open our hearts and open our minds and uh, just speak to us. Show me the sin in my life that I need to to get rid of, God. And and show everyone the sins they need to get rid of. And show us a way to be steadfast in you and to just to seek you out in all that we do. I pray this in your holy name. Amen. All right, well, this is one of my favorite verses. And I thought, man... How awesome is it going to be to preach one of my favorite verses? And then I started working on the sermon and working on the sermon. I was like, this is going to be terrible. This is going to talk about people's sin. This is going to point out and say, hey, this is where your problem is. Um, so I want to just reassure you of a couple things. First, everything I ask you to do, if I say, hey, look into your heart, look at this sin that drags you down. I'm going to do that too. Um, so I, I'm, I'm going through this with you and I have, as I've prepared the lesson, I've examined my sin. And then also if you completely hate it, that's okay because Jason will be back next week and you don't have to worry about me preaching. So just, uh, rest assured in those two things. So, uh, as we get started today, we're going to be looking at temptation and how temptation works and just kind of what it does to grab you in and pull you in and what its true desire is. Okay, so that's what we're going to look at. And uh, the first thing it starts with in verse 14 that tells us is a wrong desire. So that's where it all starts is with a wrong desire. And we all know what our desires are. There are wants and the things that we think, man, this is what's truly going to satisfy me. This is what's going to bring me joy. It's the things that we're inclined to and the things that we easily kind of walk to and the things that we want. Last week in children's church, I was with the five and six-year-old kids first. And I asked them, I said, all right, kids, no, no limits here. You can have any gift you want for Christmas. You're, you know, if your parents were going to get you anything, top of the line, what would you want? All the parents probably hated me for saying that. But I said, what would you want? Anything you could have. And the five and six-year-olds, they said, I want an iPad. 
I want a Furby. I want Legos. It was all these really cool toys. And I was like, okay. And then the three and four-year-olds came in. I said, all right, guys, what do you want? What is your biggest desire? What would be the best gift that would satisfy you most for Christmas? And they all unanimously agreed that a bouncy ball would be the best possible thing that they could have for Christmas. And I said, a bouncy ball? And they're like, yeah, you can throw it down and it comes back to you. They were so excited about it. And I think that's funny how um, we're the same with our desires. Each one of us has different things that we want and things that we love and things that we think, man, if I had that, that would just be the best thing possible. For some people, it's Legos. For other people, it's bouncy balls. Um, but I think that's, that's just, that's cool how each one of us are different and our desires are, you know, uniquely tailored to who we are. Even our sinful desires are, um, are just ours. That's what makes a desire so hard to resist. Your desires are what you want and what you truly believe will bring you satisfactions. A lot of times it's easier for us to look at other people's desires and say, why would they want that? You know, that's what I was thinking. Man, I I would have something else like a car or something like that if I could have anything, but they want a bouncy ball. But a lot of times we look at other people's desires and we think, why do they struggle with that? Or why why does that thing keep pulling them down? Do you guys ever look at people and say, Man, why do they make that same stupid decision over and over? Why do they have those wrong desires? Why do, why do they keep falling for that same thing? But then we go into the privacy of our own homes or maybe just the privacy of our own hearts and we rush towards our own sinful desires. Some people's desires are pretty obvious what they want and what they think they need and what they think will satisfy them. Other people's, they're more hidden. But today I don't want to look at other people's desires I want each one of us to look at our own selfish desires. This can be hard and this can be painful, but like I said, I'm going to do it with you. But right now, I just want you guys to think of in your mind, what are the desires you have, the wrong desires? We we all deal with this every day that we have things that we're pulled to and things that grab a hold of us and try to bring us down. So in your mind, think now, what is the thing that grabs hold of me and tries to destroy me? What are my tendencies, my wrong tendencies? And keep those in mind. Uh, maybe it's a lust or a pride or a jealousy. Maybe it's an addiction. Whatever it is, just keep it in mind as we start to read at verse 14 and work through the process of how our temptation starts and how it goes to death. Verse 14. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings about death. The first thing James tells us coming along is the luring. So ask yourself, with that desire that you have in your mind, what lures you to that? What grabs your attention and pulls you that way? What does your desire say? What does it do to kind of snap and grab your attention? What, What makes you pause and start walking towards that thing? The next thing it does is entices you. When your desire entices you, it builds a case for itself. It's when it's already lured you and you kind of turn towards it. But then you do more than that. You stop and you let it start building a case for itself. It gives you all these arguments. It starts to lie to you and to persuade you. Here's some of the lies that I've heard with my specific sin. I will bring you satisfaction, Daniel. My sin says, hey... I'm going to satisfy. You have this desire, you have this need, and this is the only thing that's going to fulfill it. 
That's one lie I've heard a lot. Um, another lie I've heard is, Daniel, you need a break. Man, you, you work hard. You've been, you've been doing good. You, man, your Christian life, it's been going great. You just need a break. You know, just take a little break from God. Just a couple days. That's all you need. Another thing I hear is everyone makes mistakes. You don't have to be perfect. Is that a lie that you guys hear too? We, we don't have to be perfect. We can, we can mess up. You don't have to do everything right. And you're going to fail eventually. So why not just go ahead and get it over and take part in this desire you want? Another lie we hear is it's just this once. Go ahead, do it. Just take part in your desire. Grab hold of it. You just have to do it this once and then the desire has gone. You've had a rough day and you deserve this or you've earned that. That's, Brian Billing says these are two of the most dangerous things that you can ever say to yourself. I deserve this or I've earned this. When you say to those things, you can justify anything that you want. And then six, I can always turn back later. Well, sin is right over there and I can walk a little bit towards it, but you know, I'm still not sinning. No, you're already in sin when you're walking towards sin, even if you haven't committed the act. And sin's like a magnet. It'll suck you in, it'll pull you to itself, and it'll destroy you. Have you ever seen a magnet that has been stuck to another piece of metal so long, and then when you pry them apart, that piece of metal still has the same magnetic tendencies as the magnet had? I found that in my house the other day. I found a nail that had been stuck to my, a magnet. I pulled it apart, and the, the nail was magnetized. And our sin's like that, too. If we spend so much of our life in a particular sin and and rushing towards it and going to it, we start to take on those same tendencies. So much so that even when we're separated from our sin, we still have that draw towards that thing. It's better that we stay away from it altogether. Our desires are our own choices. We have a lot of choices we make in our life. And I think that we need to realize that, that that's what we decide. When we decide to walk towards sin, that's on us. So what happens when we try to, or we start to believe those lies? When we start to believe those lies, we eventually get a hardened heart and we give in to those desires. This is when we trade the truth for a lie. And then the only thing left next is what James tells us is our death. So we give in to our desires. Do we get the, the things that were promised us? Do we get this fulfillment? No, we don't. We get pain, misery, and despair. And as James says, death. And I don't know about you guys, but I feel completely stupid because I don't know how many times I've done it. This same process I've done in my life again and again where sin lies to me and then I believe it and then I end up in despair again and again. And then I feel dumb. I'm like, man, God, I, you know, I, how can I even keep coming to you and saying, I'm sorry, because the sin keeps dragging me down. Am I even really repenting God? Am I really turning from my sin? No. Am I, you know, I, I have to ask myself those questions because I keep falling for the same thing again and again. So you get death. Sin gives you what you want the same way a mouse trap gives a mouse cheese. He may get a tiny little nibble of that thing, but really what he's getting is death. I mean, that's how we bait him in. We disguise it and he's like, that looks good. And he goes in for it and then he's dead. That's just how we are. When our desires arise, we are the ones who make the choice. We have a choice to linger. We have a choice to kind of look at sin. We have that choice to let sin build its argument. We have a choice 
to say, that's going to satisfy me and I'm going to go after that. And then we make the choice to sin. Um, These are not just small sins or small choices, are they? These choices not only shape what's going to happen for that day, but they shape who you become. I was trying to think of a way to explain this well. And um, Randall Gabriel, he goes to our church and he has um, some land out towards Fort Supply. And it's got miles and miles of mountain biking trails on it. And every time Randall wants to make a new trail, he'll go out there and he'll ride the same pattern again and again and again and over and over till it starts to kind of smooth out. Sometimes he'll even call up Andrew and Jason. He'll say, guys, come ride this path with me. I'm trying to make a trail. And the more each biker passes over it, the smoother it becomes, the wider the path gets, the faster they can travel down it. And they don't even have to think about it. They've got it memorized. They do that so much until that trail becomes part of the track. And that's how sin is in our life. If we walk down that that path towards destruction, the first time is going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. We're going to say, man, I don't know, God, I don't know if I want to do this. And we walk towards that sin. But the second time is going to be a little bit easier. And the time after that, even easier. And the time after that, even easier. Until we, we're just rushing towards sin and it's easy. And we don't even think about it. It becomes part of our life. And that's really dangerous. We all need to keep away from that. The decisions we make are our own. And we need to own that. James says in verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God for God cannot be tempted by evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So our sin is our own. We, we have to take ownership of that. We can't blame our sin on uh, things that have been done against us in the past or maybe the way we were raised or our childhood. We have to own our sin. And James says here that some people even blame God for their sin. They'll say, God, why have you given me this lot in life? We need to keep far from that idea of playing the role of the victim and just accepting our sin. We need to realize that we are the ones who are liable for what we've done. We can try running from sin, but it lives in us. We can try to stop by sheer power, but we're going to mess up eventually. The only way we can defeat our sin is to kill sin. My uncle Robin said it like this the other day. He said, Daniel, you and I are at war with sin constantly. And something must die in a war for the war to be over. That's true. A war is not finished till something's dead. Sin can't rest till it destroys something. Sin, all sin knows is death, destruction, lies, deceit. So we must fight back and we must kill our sin. John Owen said, be, kill, or be killing sin or it will be killing you. But here's the problem, guys. You and I can't do that. We can't kill sin on our own. I've tried and, and all I get is pride or despair. If I think I'm doing good, I get arrogant and I get proud and that burrs more sin in me. Or I get despair. Man, I can't do this. I can't kill sin. So I know the whole sermon so far has been down in the dumps, kind of beating up on us. But it's all right. It's about to get better because now we're going to talk about Jesus. He's going to show up. And you know what's awesome about the God we serve? He doesn't leave us in a hopeless situation of sin. He steps down into history as the man Jesus Christ. And that's what we just celebrated over Christmas. uh, Is God coming to be with man and to save us from our sin. So I want you to just bring back up 
those thoughts that, that we talked about earlier. What is your desire? What is that thing that grabs you and pulls you in? What's that thing that says, I'm trying to take your life from you? Think of your own desires. And now think about Christ on the cross. cross. The cross is where Christ achieves ultimate victory over all that. My sin that I'm thinking about in my head, your sins that you're thinking about in your head, on the cross, those go into his body. Those go on to him. And he suffers the death that sin brings. He takes that for all of us and he has complete and total victory. So we can't kill sin, but we can give it to a strong man who can demolish it and get rid of it forever. Galatians 2.20 says this, I've been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live, I live in the flesh by faith in the son of God who gave himself up for me. So what does it look like to be a Christian? What does a Christian life look like? If someone asked me that, I would tell them two things. I would say it looks like faith and repentance. Faith, just trusting in Christ and his work on the cross and saying, hey, I I can't handle this. I'm giving it to you. I'm giving it to you on the cross because that's where you destroy it. And repentance, turning away from all of my sin that I know and turning to all of Jesus that I know. So I turn away from my sin. I turn to Jesus. And that, that's the Christian life. I am never not going to have to have faith and repentance. The rest of my life, I am going to be dependent on Jesus. And I'm going to need to turn from my sin and turn towards him. So let's jump back to our passage and look at verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So there has to be some kind of steadfastness. We can be sure of that. Sin comes after us steadfastly. It's never going to stop. Day by day, our sin's going to attack us. It's going to try to drag us down. So since our sin comes after us with a steadfast pursuit, we have to go after Christ with a steadfast pursuit. Being steadfast is a day-to-day thing. Listen to the church, uh, the early church in Acts 2. They're shown to be steadfast. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number uh, day by day those who are being saved. So here we see a group of people who are tethered to God. They're living in Christ-centered relationships. They're pursuing the things of God. And what God does is he shows up and brings salvation. They steadfastly pursue God and they're saved. People, be, people are getting saved day by day. But sin is also steadfast. In the story of Joseph, Potiphar's wife tempts Joseph day by day. She comes back to him. She says, lay with me, sleep with me. She comes after him day by day and it doesn't stop. And even when it does stop, he's thrown in in prison for a wrong accusation. Sin keeps after us. It's not going to let up. It's not going to give up. Its intent is to kill us. And it won't stop until it has our, not only our joy, but our life. That's the only thing that will bring it satisfaction. So just a few practical things to end the sermon here. What, What can we do to be steadfast? What does a steadfast life look like? Practically, I think it looks like time spent in God's word in prayer and in prayer. Um, when we go to God in prayer, we can ask for new desires. 
We, we all have wrong desires. We're all bent and broken. But we can ask that God take those away from us and give us a new mind. A mind that focuses and is drawn and is magnetized towards things of him and his glory. And what he's done for us other than worthless things that can't and won't satisfy us. It looks like filling our mind with the truth of the scriptures. Sin is going to lie to us every opportunity it gets. It's going to pull out the most convincing arguments. If it could have thought of something better, it would have. It's going to pull out everything it can to drag us down. So we're going to need to be ready. And we're going to need to arm ourselves with truth. And that comes from God's word. We're going to need to equip ourselves with that. We need to memorize the scripture. We need to hold fast to God's word and uh, memorize it so we can use it in times of battle. It looks like accountability. This is where men need to be meeting with men and women need to be meeting with women with the common goal of saying, hey, I know what you struggle with and let's pull that sin out into the light and let's kill it together. Let's actively fight that thing together and make sure we destroy it before it destroys us. It looks like Christ-centered relationships. I know we push that a lot here at Lincoln, but that's meeting with people who have a common goal of glorifying Christ in their life. And above all, it looks like being in constant dependence of Jesus. Sin's going to come hard after us, but we have to go to Christ and we have to go to the cross. And we have to trust that while we can't do anything with our sin, his perfect life and his death that he died for us is more than enough to completely crush sin and death forevermore. Our sinful desire is going to drag us down to death, but a steadfast pursuit of God leads to eternal life. So this morning, I just want you guys to ask yourself, what is your sin? What is your desire? I know mine, you guys know yours. We, we all know this process. We live it out in our life every day. It comes after us. So I just want you to ask, what is it that's trying to pull you down? What is it that's trying to destroy you? And then I want to ask you to give that to God. Give it over to him and let it go and, and work on pursuing God in a steadfast way. This is going to be hard. It's, it's a battle. It's not going to be easy. But with Christ's help, we can do anything. We're, we're insufficient. We can't do anything on our own. But we, when we give stuff to God, stuff happens. And I want to challenge you to do that this morning. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father God, thank you so much for your love. Thank you so much for the cross. And thank you so much for help, God. With, without you, we're in trouble. We're in deep trouble, God. We have all these sins and all these temptations and all these desires that are wrong. And that's, that's natural for us. God, we walk that way easily. But God, let us just throw those off of us and trust you. And trust your son resting in the cross, knowing that, that your work was, was more than enough to destroy sin forevermore. Help us to be steadfast and to, to love you well, God, that we may re- receive the crown of life. I pray this in your holy name. Amen.